I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And it's another week of Future Quake, and we're doing something different this week. What do we call it this week? We're calling it Dim Sum Week. Dim Sum. And yeah. Dim Sum is an oriental restaurant in which you get a little bit of a whole lot of stuff on your plate, right? Yes. Well, the idea is somebody comes by with, with a cart with uh, food that's about appetizer size, you know, like mm-hmm. two little pork buns or yeah. chicken feet or... Uh, you know, chicken feet. Oh yeah, you've never had chicken. Oh, feet. now you're making me hungry. No. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say now you're making it up. I'm no. not making it up. I've had chicken feet. Oh, really? Yes. It's not bad. Well, um, so dim sum is uh, basically a potpourri of different kind of flavors, and that's yes. what we're doing this mm-hmm. week. Uh, we're having a number of shows this week, mm-hmm. and we're gonna have something special today. Uh, stick around tomorrow. We're gonna have. Uh, the uh, vice presidential candidate of the, the Constitution Party joining yeah. us. He'll be on. And then we're going to have uh, uh, Christian Action Against Apathy. Yeah. It's going to be the last two days followed by our news at the end of the week. It's going to be uh, – I'm looking forward to this week. But we have a special topic for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that some of our regular listeners may already be familiar with, and if so – we ask you just to uh, oblige the rest of us. We're going to bring some new listeners up to speed on something that they should know about, and it has a very personal touch, and it relates to uh, mm-hmm. something our own Tom Bionic uh, got to know up close and personal. Oh, and yeah. that is what particular location? What is it we're talking about? Well, we are talking about the Bohemian Grove. The Bohemian Grove, yes. which is a uh, sort of like a campground retreat thing run by something called the Bohemian Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, since our time's a waste, and can you explain for our listeners those? Let me who just jump in there. Yeah. About what is the Bohemian Club? What's its purpose? Okay. And what and why did it create Bohemian Grove? Well, uh, the Bohemian Club—it's a prominent private club uh, in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco, California. Uh, it's Clubhouse. Actually, if you ever wanted to go by there and drive by there, check it mm-hmm. out. It's at 624 Taylor Street, uh, there in San Francisco. Um, today, the club has a diverse. And if you're going, put some flowers in your hair. That's true, but that's yeah, just to San Francisco, not to the Bohemian Club. San Francisco, okay. Yep. Sorry. Um, 
And interestingly, a lot of people don't pick up on this, but if you want to try uh, having grown up on the West Coast, if you want to check it out, you can go to the Bohemian Club, drive by there, and notice, um, uh, what is the name of it? Burt's Owl, Owl Tree Bar is right across the street. Huh. And supposedly they're owned by the same same group of folks. Really? And and they also happen to have the owl symbol. This yes. This is their mysterious, mm-hmm. intriguing symbol yes. as part of it. Yep. Okay. Um, the club was founded in 1872, and it was modeled kind of on New York's prominent Century Club. Uh, the club was originally formed exclusively by and for journalists who lamented the lack of art and culture in post-Gold Rush San Francisco. Uh, basically, they wanted to capture the idea of the kind of the avant-garde movement that's, that had been going on in mm-hmm. uh very big at that time in New York and other places. Um, and as, you know, as an artist myself, you realize very quickly that when you make a club of all artists and journalists, you need what you need is to get somebody who has a lot of money. Right. So they uh, loosened the, the rules for membership and permitted people to join who had little to no artistic talent but had major financial resources. Hmm. Um, That's why I brought you on board in the Future Quake show. For the large financial resources? <laughs> Well, uh, I hate to break it to you, oh. but... <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. Proceed. Um, anyway, so uh, as these things often happen, uh, the the membership list, the membership rules were relaxed, uh, but pretty soon the Bohemian Riders were sort of pushed out or marginalized, and mm-hmm. the wealthy sort of uh, came in control of the club. Uh, the membership lists are private, Although I have the, we do have the membership list. They get smuggled out. Yeah, well, yeah. you know we might well of the Grove, Bohemian Grove. I don't have mm-hmm. the Bohemian Club list. Okay. Um, there is a YouTube video of somebody who snuck into Bohemian Club. Yeah, yeah. And hurriedly took a little camera. Mm-hmm. It's a very, to me, a creepy place. From what you see there, owls, people dressed in robes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, pictures of people dressed in robes. I okay. guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the wealthy and powerful of the world. Are now affiliated with it, correct? Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that here in a minute. Okay. Um, uh, the list of people who are involved are, are huge. Uh, they include they include presidents, cabinet members, CEOs of large corporations, major financial major financial into institution presidents, um, major military contractors, oil company CEOs, uh, media giants, media giants which is mm-hmm. very weird, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all the uh, uh, Greenspan has been a member since 1984, hmm. which is far out because, you know, he ran the Federal Reserve for right. 14 years. Right, and other uh, bankers. Yeah, yeah. Also members of, you know, major utility companies, national media, as we said. Universities. Yep. Uh, and, of course, there are a requisite number of artists and lovers of art and musicians and people that they mm-hmm. still have attend. Very many of our guests on there. Mm-hmm. You see, like a Tom Horn on there. Or you don't see too many of them. Mike Shedlock. You don't see Mike Shedlock. Okay. In fact, uh, they might, you know, do some bad things to any of those guys. Okay. I would guess. All right. All right. Uh, don't want to put words in their mouth. So they they formed a little uh, campground. Yeah, it's sort of a uh, it's sort of a club, the, the Bohemian Club. It's a club for the rich and wealthy. Uh, but unlike many of these other sort of clubs, they formed a campground, and they do some weird stuff there. They mm-hmm. do some really weird stuff. Okay, and that's um, called the Bohemian Grove. Yes, Bohemian okay. Grove. Um, but let's. Uh, I did some. I did some background research into who all is involved in well, the Bohemian. Well, tell us. Yeah, tell us well, who has been documented. The people documented going to either the Bohemian 
the Bohemian Club or going to the Grove, which is sort of a more exclusive of the two, I think. Uh, it contains every president since Calvin Coolidge. That's Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Nixon, Kennedy, Johnson, Ford, Rockefeller, uh, not Rockefeller. He was vice president. Yeah, Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Carter, Reagan, Bush one, Bush two, and Clinton. They've all they've all went to the Bohemian Grove at one time or another. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes before they were president. Mm-hmm. And while they were president. And while they were president, of course. Right. Right. <clears throat> uh, plus, you've got David Gergen, Henry Kissinger, Casper Weinberger, uh, former head of the CIA, mm-hmm. Dick Cheney, Malcolm Forbes, Forbes Magazine, mm-hmm. Colin Powell, Helmut Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Uh, who actually uh, one of the one of the great sources of this Grove research is Helmut Schmidt's autobiography, where he talks about this stuff. He spills the beans a little Kinda, bit. As, yeah, as a prime minister of Germany. Yep, the Bechtels of Bechtel mm-hmm. Corporation, mm-hmm. James Baker, Jerry Cole, on the, the Rockefellers. It just goes on and on and on. Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite, William Randolph Hearst, Jack Howard, Charles Scripps of Scripps Howard Newspapers. Yeah, it's uh. It's pretty heavy. It yeah. gets when you start seeing Todd Blair. Do you, do you know you ever go there? I don't know. That would yeah. be a good one to research. Yeah. I'll check them out. Yeah, I'll okay. check it out. Um, yeah. So it's like, gosh, what are all these people doing? Sort of meeting behind closed doors. It's like a summer youth camp, in the middle of the summer, out in the woods of mm-hmm. Monterio, California, mm-hmm. out in the redwoods, and the world's most powerful people are out frolicking mm-hmm. in the woods. Yes, which. I guess wouldn't be so bad, except that they were our elected officials, obviously, and there's some pretty dark undercurrents that come about. You know, it's um, yeah, it's well, it's weird. Let's jump right into that, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, the group, uh, if those of you who are listening are not familiar with this, this is the first time you heard about it, is most famous for some bizarre pageant that they mm-hmm. hold each year called the Cremation of Care. Yes. Can you explain this bizarre ritual for those who've never heard of it, and what evidence do we have it's for real? Okay, well, the Cremation of Care. Um, the Cremation of Care appears to be a uh, uh, most, of most, if not all, the people there don robes and uh, uh, basically involve, are involved in some way, either uh, uh, watching or actively involved in mock human sacrifice, basically, in front of a large stone owl. Now, don't don't lose us here. Don't turn the channel here. We're not uh, we're not going off the deep end. Well, don't worry. We'll give you some. I'll give you some documented sources here in in a, in a few minutes. You can look. You can, you can go, go watch, watch it. You can, you can go watch the video. Why don't I do this? What? I'll I'll talk about here's the documentation. Go to YouTube, mm-hmm. type in Bohemian Grove exposed, and up will come uh, uh, a multi-part documentary uh, wherein somebody smuggled a camera in and recorded it. And there's 34 minutes of this video uh, wherein they worship a giant stone owl wearing robes. Uh, We're talking like what 30, 40 foot owl. Something? 40 foot owl. Yeah. Okay. And these people come in with torches and robes carrying something that looks like a sacrifice, human kind of sacrifice. Yes, yes. In front of a lake, uh-huh. and all of these world leaders, mm-hmm. it's been documented, mm-hmm. are there watching this yeah. bizarre ritual. In fact, go to if you want to do this, you can type in www.youtube.com and then backslash watch question mark V equals S 7 D 3 W T 3 V QA8, and that will that is the link directly to this video. I'm sure everybody got that. Well, 
they can go to the they can go to the site and download it. Yeah. You can go to Future Quake and download it. But again. if you also uh, go to YouTube, you'll mm-hmm. be able to find it. You'll actually see this crazy ritual ongoing. It's nuts. It is. It blew my mind. And these are world leaders who normally would be making decisions that affect each of our years and mine and all of our listeners' fate. Mm-hmm. Normally, we'd see them out in the you know, public or somewhere where it would be recorded in the halls of Congress or something mm-hmm. like what they're doing. But they're in some sequestered place where we can't hear what they do, Supposedly, what they talk yeah. about, anything they may decide or agree mm-hmm. or get in little clubs. They all live in little lodges. Is that right? They all live in They all live in little lodges there. They have, it seems to me, to be at least 40 or 50 different little clubhouses where it's it's a little bit like summer, summer camp. Everybody gets together. There's all bunks and and all that stuff, and they have different names. Except the names of these of these clubs are a little weird, like the Fallen Angels, the uh, uh, the Postmortems. Um, okay. it's, right. it's a little weird. Now, now this the the we have Democrats and Republicans who normally yell and point fingers at each other, mm-hmm. are putting their arms around each other, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of laughing it off there. Yes. Uh, while they wear red and black robes, so they pretend to be bitter enemies in front of all of us face to face. Yes. But then they get all cozy uh, yeah. behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. What other strange activities have been documented going on at this place? You know, I've seen the video, and I've seen the video, and as, as I'll foreshadow a little bit, I've even driven to the front gate of this place, uh, and I even know somebody who's been in. I know two people who've been inside, and I still feel weird saying this, but it it appears that uh, a lot of our world leaders engage in. Uh, uh, they drink a lot. They get crazy. They and there's there's rumors of homosexual activity, rampant well, homosexual activity. Uh, Nixon himself yes. referred to the homosexual activity ongoing, right? Yes, yes, he did. And uh, here is that YouTube link. Okay. <laughs> if you don't believe me, uh, as evidence to support the homosexual aspects of the Bohemian Grove, uh, here is President Nixon discussing the rampant homosexual sexuality that goes on at the week long event, uh, two week long event rather. Uh, go to YouTube. It's www.youtube.com slash watch question mark V equal sign D P B minus P N nine F two P C and feature equal sign related. All right. So that's a keyword. That I was going to say up. or 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 you could just type. Uh, Nixon Bohemian Grove. Yeah, that should get and that'll, you. That'll, that should that should get yeah. you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so something that defies the imagination is going on in front of our noses. Mm-hmm. Uh, this incredible behavior that's going on, decisions being made, all sorts of things that are happening on and with these bizarre rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, does this shed any light on the thinking of elite individuals who keep the reins of power? Well, uh, and who selectively <laughs> provide the resources to underwrite a new generation of elite members that they pre-select to no, come to this meeting. No, of course not. This is all very normal behavior. And how do they view ourselves? <laughs> well, a- 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 well, it's obviously a tremendous breach of trust on several levels. One of which is they're elected officials, meaning they should work for us. And here they are meeting behind closed doors, you know, making you know back alley deals, so to speak. Uh, making setting policy behind closed doors away from public scrutiny. Now, David Gergen, who was a top advisor, cabinet mm-hmm. advisor for Clinton, and I think even helped Bush, yeah, um, was confronted by Alex Jones on air. Mm-hmm. Actually, had a camera running, 
asked him about going to Bohemian Grove. He he said that he did, but he got very very incensed when he mentioned when Al Jones mentioned that he'd yeah. smuggled himself in there and he cussed him out. Yeah. He said he says well shouldn't the public know what you all are doing behind closed doors? And he said it's none of your blank it's none of their blank business. Yeah. Talking about. Sure. That we know what, what they totally. and the other powerful elite do. Well, that leads us to a, a Rockefeller quote, who, oh, by the way, is on the 2008 guest list. Okay, good, because we're coming here to the end. Okay. So we, tell us what well, this is. David Rockefeller said, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications, whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during these years. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government which will never again know war but only peace and prosperity for the whole humanity. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in the past centuries. It is also our duty to inform the press of our conviction, convictions as to the historic future of the century. So he thanks them for not reporting, reporting. Yeah. because they're in cahoots with it. Uh-huh. So the media is not talking about it. Yes. Um, and he's also saying that they're making plans as the elite that he uh-huh. mentions for how they're going to control basically yes. our destiny. Yes, and he says the supernatural sovereignty of an intellectual elite. Do you know where this quote comes from or the reliability of the quote? Uh, well, you can actually look at this quote online. It was said in 1991 in uh, Austria, I believe. If you go to www.bilderberg.org backslash 1991.htm. Okay, and it has it on there. We're coming up to the end. We've got to sort of switch off here. We, but, should, uh, we should do this again. Okay, well, let's go. All right. You actually went out there. I did. And you surprised me with a phone call at the future residence. I am glad that you record your phone calls. Well, uh, <laughs> and that, that'd be a warning for all of you. But anyway, I want you to play a clip uh, of a phone call yeah. that Tom gave me mm-hmm. directly from Bohemian Grove. So with no further ado, here we go. Uh, hello, future residence. Dr. Future. It's Tom Bionic here. How you doing, man? Tom, Tom, where are you? Why, why are you calling the future residents? Well, I mean, can I call the future residents and just let you know what's going on? And you know, well, what is I, what is going on? Are you running around Nashville, Tennessee? Well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm actually over here in Monte Rio, California. And so, you'll never guess. You'll never guess what's going on. So, where are you? What is Monte Rio, and, and why is that significant? Well, Monte Rio, California, is the place where they have the uh, Bohemian Grove uh, meeting every July. And uh, you're at Bohemian you know, Grove. Well, that's going on right now. That's going on right now. I know. I actually just tried to drive through the front gate, and I got stopped by uh, uh, Bohemian Grove security, and I got stopped by an off-duty. Well, he wasn't off-duty. He was on duty. I got stopped by an on-duty police officer. Did they shoot and, your window out or anything? No, but they. Uh, they wanted to know what I was doing, and I uh, I got all flustered and said I was looking for Moscow Road. Did you go. drop the name and say you were affiliated with Doctor Future, and did that help any? No, but I, I would be. I'm sure that if I dropped that name, I would probably get shot. So, I wow. Uh, so what else happened? Well, we drove over there, and they weren't um, the people were weren't uh, all that hip. So you can confirm that it's not just a rumor about Bohemian Grove. It really exists. Oh, no. No. Well, you're, I just you're got, there, I witness. I just got stopped by an armed guard with a jacket that says Bohemian, Bohemian Grove Security. So, did, uh, did, it, did it have an owl on it? Was, 
he was awfully intimidating to be uh, to be mere rumor. Okay. Did you see any owl logos or anything? Didn't see any owl logos, no. Okay. Okay. Well, what else was going on there? Well, you know, uh, judging from the size of the judging from the size of the parking lot that we saw, I assume it's been turned on, and that wasn't happening. We did get what to see the parking lot. There's your 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 phone just broke up. What did you say? Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not good. It's out here in the woods, so there's not good cell phone reception. Well, they may be um, jamming you too. Oh well, let's not get let's get not not get too tinfoil hatty on us here. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think we do that. <laughs> there was just in the Huffington Post today an article that confirmed that uh, Obama and McCain both are going to Bohemian Grove. Oh really? Uh, and I was oh. yeah this time, and I was wondering if you've seen any famous people come in or out of that entrance. Um, no, no, not not yet. I haven't been here long. We got here. About 20 minutes ago, it took us a little while to find it. Uh, we got turned around a little bit. I tried to get some batteries for my camera, and uh, interestingly enough, the lady who sold me batteries, uh, she let me have them for half price, which I thought was odd. So then we drove off and put them in my camera, and batteries are dead. And so I'm back to square one. You and, think uh, you didn't get any pictures at all? Uh, no, I do. I do get. I do get a bunch of pictures. I actually have um, uh, the camera on my phone. I've gotten pretty good. I've gotten pretty good at taking pictures with my uh, camera uh, okay. the, you, you, on my phone. So I do have some pictures. Was there anybody else at the uh, the front gate or anything? Uh, no, just the armed guards. <laughs> the armed guards with the Bohemian Grove security shirts. Okay, so you were alone. Yeah. Well, my uh, my buddy. There weren't other pro. Okay, there weren't other protesters or anything there. I'm sorry. Say that again. There weren't any other protesters or anybody there. No, I'm kind of surprised. I, you know, you figure there'd be, uh, you know, like one of the churches in town would, uh, you know, schedule something. You know, like George Bush worships a big stone owl or something. Yeah. You know, because he was on the yeah. guest list there, as I recall, right? They published uh, that in the. Uh, George W. Bush, or you mean no, George Senior, George Herbert Walker Bush was supposed to be there. Yeah, no, the no. Well, no, I think both of them were supposed to be the. Um, I saw that they had published, they got hold of the guest list and published it. Hmm. Okay. One of those, one of those organizations, I can't, maybe it might be truthaction.org. One yeah. of those. They got a hold of the guest list and actually published photos of it. And, uh, oh. I took an, I took, I got, I, I have, uh, a friend of mine who's got a high performance, uh, 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 picture manipulation software. We went in there and zoomed in and it looks like, uh, Junior and senior were supposed to be there, according to that the photo of the guest list. There, there's there's a there's a platform there that's uh, uh, down by the river that's supposed to be pretty infamous in a lot of the Grove, sort of, and a lot of the rumors that you hear about the Grove. And uh, uh, I think we're probably going to drive over there, take a look at it, maybe get a few pictures of it. There's all sorts of you know talk about uh, you know. World leaders doing stuff that was entire wasn't entirely, uh, shall we say, appropriate. Okay. Uh, out there, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to go start any rumors or anything. So we'll just well, leave it at that. They, they might be listening to you there. Um, yeah. Are, are as far as you know, is that the only entrance into it, or are there any other entrances? Well, I mean, it's a no. pretty it's a it's a pretty rugged area, right? So uh, I would guess that it's pr that's probably the only entrance. Yeah, uh, but but now we can confirm it independently as Future Quake now from what you've done that it's I the real seen, McCoy and it's there. 
I have seen Bohemian Grove security with my own eyes. Okay. They have, oh. they have, uh, I've seen the, the infamous parking lot there with all the cars in it and stuff. Uh, I haven't been inside to see, see what goes on, but I've seen the, I've seen mm-hmm. the parking lot, seen the, uh, security guards, seen the, uh, the county police there, or might have been a county sheriff, uh, also armed, guarding the gate of this, uh, supposedly private club. You know? Wow. Well, um, was there any information you were able to get from the security guards, or any you were able to get them to talk to you for a while? Not really. In fact, in fact, I went up there and I said, uh, uh, I went up there and kind of pretended I was and I said, you know, he said, "What's your name?" And I said, uh, "Mike." Uh, I'm looking for Moscow Road, and he said, he got immediately. He really stiffened. He was like, "You got you." You know, he got very nervous. I don't know what Moscow Road, what the significance of, other than that, that it's a road just down the street. Maybe that's a slogan term that you're actually like a, uh, you know, a hitman or something. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. Um, so, but immediately he he got real stiff and uh, asked. Uh, well, first of all, he, there's a guard shack there, and yeah. uh, he shut the gate. He shut the little gate of the guard shack. And then walked over and talked to one of the police officers there. Uh, and they both came out and questioned me, you know, like, what are you doing? Look, man, I'm just looking for Moscow Road. And I said, really? Yeah. And, uh, then they pointed me to Moscow Road, you know? Huh. Kind of odd. Are you going to go back there again and check it out another time before you retreat? I might. I might. I think I'm going to. I'm going to cruise around just a little bit and see what else I can see, but I think that might be it, you know? Well, when, I mean, when you come back, we'll get you on the show to talk about it, okay? I'd love to do it, man. I'd love to do hey. it. Hey, thanks for calling. I sure appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for calling the Future House and uh, letting me know where you are at any time. So sure. I know, you know, if the authorities come knocking, I don't understand <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, well, you may want to, you may want to, uh, you may want to uh, uh, deny this phone call. You know, you don't uh, want to let anybody know, like, you know. Uh, they may not be too happy on being exposed I may have their to tell, giant may have, owl worship. I may have to tell them I've never heard of Tom Bionic ever. Yeah, Tom. Uh, so, sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> hey, your cell phone yeah. is breaking up, so yeah. um, we'll just get off here and give me a call some other time when you can okay. talk, if you find any more data, and we'll talk about it on the show, okay? Okay, great, man. Love hey, you. Th- thank you, and... Uh, Brother Tom, you take care of yourself out there, okay? Yeah, yeah, pray for me, man. Will do, will do. Well, God bless you, and we'll talk to you when you get back. Be careful. Okay, yeah. Okay, we'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, there we go. I get one question for 30 seconds for you. Okay. We know now why the media doesn't report on this. Mm -hmm. Why does the evangelical community not talk about this and be incensed by it? Well, I have my theories. There are people who they are cozy with that are at that. Yeah, sure. So sure. why are they not saying anything about it? Um, gosh, I haven't been a Christian. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question. Almost. Okay. Like, Maybe you should ask the people. You, those of you listening, should ask yeah. the people in the other ministries. How come you're not hearing about this? on the radio yeah. or TV? You watch why they're not uh, standing up and exposing this. Okay, we've got to go real quick. All right, let's go. Let's get out of here. And. Uh, any other comments, you can give us on the news on Friday, right? Let's do it. Okay. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day, and we'll see you tomorrow.
Sayonara. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future, and t- today we have a very prestigious guest with us for our show, Mr. Daryl Castle, who is the vice presidential candidate nominee of the Constitution Party, is with us, and we're going to be talking about the constitutional movement in the 2008 presidential election. And, Mr. Castle, I really want to welcome you to the Future Quake Show. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you. It's my pleasure. Well, I tell you, it's an honor to have have you with your incredibly busy schedule right here in the thick of the campaign uh, to come on our show. And I, I want to jump right into it because I know your time is short. Uh, and I, w- I want to talk a little bit about our situation with evangelicals, which are a big part of our listening audience on the show, uh, because uh, evangelicals and their leadership currently are very now reluctantly relying, rallying behind John McCain. Uh, and I guess I could best describe it as that they're going behind the evil that's a little bit less evil than the other evil uh, in, in their frame of thinking. Uh, even though John McCain calls evangelicals agents of intolerance, uh, per my recollection, and in fact, uh, from my observation, even formed somewhat of a sen- senatorial mafia group called the Gang of Twelve to stop conservative Supreme Court and other judge nominees, which I know has been supposedly a real priority of the evangelical uh, movement leadership, while yet voting for people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, and, and generally, I've seen his career, he's, he stood against most of what evangelicals stand for. Now, given this dichotomy in their, their reluctant support with him versus what his stands are, do you think, Mr. Castle, that are, are evangelicals somewhat masochistic and self-destructive by basically supporting a party that, they, that never really ever delivered for them or their interest and, and basically appears to me to presume that they're fools and uh, whose support they can always be relied upon? Or does the leadership of the evangelical movement live under some kind of delusion that, that they have still some kind of non-existent power within the Republican Party, which they're afraid of losing, you know, regardless of what type of uh, individuals they support there that are opposed to their principles? H- how can you explain their commitment there? Well, I uh, the, the term uh, masochistic I don't think is accurate. <laughs> uh, self-destructive maybe only by accident. Um, and you know it, it's it's really difficult to tell uh, the mind of people. You know, uh, uh, only God knows our real motives sure. and knows our hearts. But uh, I've had the opportunity since I've been uh, involved with this campaign and before when before I even knew that I was uh, would be considered as a candidate when we were we were uh, interviewing and looking at other people as candidates. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with most of the people that you would refer to as uh, national-level evangelical leaders at one time or another to discuss possible candidates. And uh, I came to an understanding of what what their thinking is, and uh, it's kind of a combination of many things. I think it, you pointed out that, uh, uh, that fear Obama. Well, there's always someone to fear. You know, if we want to concentrate on evil instead of looking at what God really wants for us, we'll always find someone to fear. You know, we feared Clinton, and here we are so many years later, uh, mired down in two wars, a $9.7 trillion debt. I, you know, I could go on and on. But, right. Just just uh, like the uh, the nation of Judah, I believe, relied in Egypt 
in the armies of Egypt to protect them against Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, yes. Fear should never be a means by which to drive us to people who we don't don't share principles with. Well, that's right. Uh, the, the one thing I would say, if I had to be uh, critical of these leaders in some respect, I would say that uh, they seem to uh, to uh, they talk about principle, but they when push comes to shove, uh, party is more important than principle. Uh, because I can point out many ways to you uh, in my experience in, in this campaign and studying the issues, uh, whether you're talking about Obama or McCain, they both, on, on the, say, three or four most critical issues to our country, and I realize those are debatable, but I'm talking about issues that really could determine whether we live or die as a nation. Uh, both these men, on, on all of those issues, say that they're going to make the problems worse. Um, illegal immigration, the North American Union, all those problems connected together. Our, our energy situation, crisis, if you will, uh, the economy, and uh, the foreign policy problems that we face now, they all say uh, we'll make these problems worse than they are. And I can tell you uh, directly from their uh, their own speeches, what I mean by that, but, you know, if you're going to vote for someone who is going to destroy your country, uh, what difference does it make what party he's in? Right, right, exactly. Well, and, and I need to tell my listeners here, they, they know me very well, and, and they know that I have some pretty strong opinions, although generally on Future Quake, we let our guests uh, really deliver the opinions that we consider here. And, and this may be something that's a little bit more near and dear to my heart, and why I'm a little more passionate about it. Uh, but I don't mean to be leading in my questions here, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mr. Castle, of what I have to share with. I just have some hard questions, and I thought maybe you might help explain some of these things to me. Uh, to, to contrast on the positive side, uh, the Constitution Party, which, if many of our listeners do not understand, is, the, as I understand, the third largest party in our country, just under the Republican Party, uh, in size, with more uh, registered uh, voters than I think either the Green or Libertarian Party, which is very, I hope everyone understood that, more than the Green or Libertarian Party, merely seeks, in, in my understanding of your platform, merely seeks to restrain the federal government to the limits our founding fathers very wisely placed upon it to, to preserve our own freedom as citizens. And, and it's, a, in, in essence, a consistent philosophy that dictates the platform of the party and the positions that you take, rather than just the winds of what the latest polls are, or a donation from high roller lobbyists that come in of influence. As a result of these fun I'm sorry? No, that's okay. Go ahead. Well, as a result of these fundamental positions that you have that you can explain further, the Constitution Party supports the civil right of life for the unborn, our freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and right to educate our children as we see fit, responsible economic policy, uh, respect for self-determination and not meddling in the affairs of other countries. All positions which I understand are consistent with what I understand the Bible-believing Christian evangelical views. What other positions do the Constitution Party uh, support in support of this philosophy? And please clarify if I've mischaracterized you, but it, uh, give our listeners a, a little bit more far-reaching understanding of the scope of your platform. No, I, I don't think you've mischaracterized us. Uh, you know, we believe the Constitution is what it says it is. It's it's the supreme law of the land, and it's the the uh, um, founding document of this nation. Um, it's the charter of the nation. 
And so uh, we we try to remain consistent with constitutional principles. And, you know, some other things that you didn't mention would be uh, the, the right of self-defense is set out in the Second Amendment and uh, um, uh, many other things within the boundaries of the Constitution. But some issues of today that are uh, of concern to people that are vital to uh, uh, to America's survival would be the, the issue of illegal immigration. I mean, depending on which poll you look at, 65 to 85 percent of people polled say that it's a uh, it's either their number one issue or it's a very important issue at least. Um, and yet, many of those people, if not most of them, uh, will vote for one of two men who, who, by their own actions and words, have said that they're going to, to make it even worse. Um, the same could be said of our energy situation. The Constitution Party supports a a plan for the United States to become independent uh, uh, for purposes of energy to to uh, gain our own um, way in the world, so that we would not have to be uh, dependent upon or blackmailed by, intimidated by, whatever you want to say it. Uh, the Middle East oil-producing countries, and uh, we, we could be more uh, self-determinant for our own foreign policy uh, that way. And we know, I know, from having explored this with uh, the leaders of many different companies in, in America that the energy is there if we really want to exploit it. But neither one of these two men will, and by their own words, uh, they tell us that. I assume they're, they're going to represent the high-paid people who are financing their campaigns, correct? Uh, well, they uh, possibly, but uh, there's an agenda there uh, to keep America from becoming uh, uh, independent for energy. For example, uh, Senator Obama recently, um, we could go, uh, well, it's been two weeks now, I guess time flies, but a week ago last Friday, he, made, he gave a speech in um, uh, Lansing, Michigan. I was there, uh, not in Lansing, but you could hear Lansing from where I was. And uh, he said that uh, uh, his quote was, we have to end the age of oil in our lifetime. In other words, uh, he has an agenda that's going to stop the production of petroleum in the United States, which is a... Uh, a, a terrible mistake because the technology is there to do it cleanly now, to do it in, in an environmentally friendly fashion, and the energy is certainly there. Senator McCain and Obama both support the climate uh, climate change control bill recently defeated in the Senate. They both pledged to bring it back after they're uh, elected. That would, in effect, end energy exploration in America. They both support the Kyoto Protocols which would be even worse and would require the American citizens to pay uh, billions of dollars in taxes to um, essentially destroy our civilization and our way of life. Mm -hmm. I'm not exaggerating. These, these, are all, um, these are all facts that these two men mm -hmm. both support. I mean, they're virtually identical in these uh, issues. Right. You go on with the economy, uh, Obama's $850 billion uh, poverty tax and uh, McCain's uh, support for all these in uh, international institutions that uh, 
he wants to tax us his uh, uh, essential support for uh, foreign entanglement of our military, and uh, he's basically proposing uh, military uh, projects that can't be done without a general mobilization of our people. Um, and uh, to me, it's all madness. Mm -hmm. But uh, it seems to me a common. A common theme is that whether not wanting us to make us energy independent or, or other approaches they have all entangle us further with internationalists that erode national sovereignty here. All these have a common theme where we have unelected people that aren't directly accountable to us that make the decisions that impact our pocketbook, impact our sovereignty, what our civil rights are, uh, the safekeeping and well-being of our sons that are sent off to war. Um, the, the, the positions of both of these parties is to push the power away from the average citizen and onto these other uh, third-party groups in the shadows. Am, am well, I the opposite of independence is control, and you're right. There's an agenda there uh, for us to be controlled by someone else, and, and that is the, the paramount political question of our day that the American people have to ask themselves. Do you want to be... Uh, to continue to be a free and independent people, able to govern ourselves, to determine the future for ourselves and our children, or do you want to be ruled by a tiny elite who determine your future for you? Mm -hmm. uh, that is the question, and uh, both of these senators feel the same way. Uh, there is an agenda, uh, and it was laid, it's been laid out many times over the last few decades, but... Uh, uh, if you control the essentials in people's lives, uh, fuel and food, uh, you control them completely. And that's the direction that we're moving, and it's a very, mm -hmm. uh, or should be, a very sobering thought for people. And they might consider the, the one party, the one candidate, uh, or pair of candidates who uh, have pledged themselves to uh, to stop this and to do something about it and to lead us back uh, in the direction that we should go. Well, let me just mention, I hit the ground running here, and I know our time's getting away, but uh, I wanted to jump into the meat so quickly that, that I need to clarify. Any long-term listeners of our show know that I had the uh, privilege of beginning to go to the Constitution Party Convention back in April. Uh, I went in there. I, I was not well-known within your group. I was uninvited, but I came in out of curiosity. And what I was amazed to see at the convention were average citizens who had a significant role uh, in a very orderly convention where there was actual debate. Uh, another gentleman who uh, is highly regarded in many respects, Alan Keyes, came in. Uh, he made his positions very, very clear, was treated with respect. Uh, I had an opportunity to interview him while he was there. Uh, there were real debates on foreign policy and other issues as opposed to the dog and pony shows that you get with the Republican and Democratic conventions, which are heavily scripted and I find very, very insulting as a citizen and are very manipulative. And this was actually town hall citizenship directly in action. Uh, the people spoke and uh, nominated uh, Chuck Baldwin uh, and yourself as a ticket for the Constitution Party. And I felt like there was still some hope in our country when I saw this process ongoing and that there were real issues that are really being discussed with real principles and strong uh, you know, Christian-based ba uh, ethics that form the fundamentals of the platform that were discussed. E even um, 
in a broader sense that, that other freedom-loving Americans that maybe don't uh, accept all of the uh, details of, of spiritual beliefs and things like that, 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 that uh, Constitution people are looking out for the rights of everyone and uh, trying to preserve the right for everyone to be self-deterministic in how you choose to uh, believe and worship and speak. And I find that you're relatively unique as a party in that respect. Well, I, I thank you for saying that. I, I believe we are unique. Um, you know, we we uh, believe in America and its people. And uh, I mean, personally, uh, as a lawyer, I um, I look at my role as potentially a vice president. Mm-hmm. If and I were elected to that office, uh, I would represent the American people in the way that a lawyer does his client. In other words, he, during the time of that representation, that client's interest is paramount in his mind, mm-hmm. or at least it should be. And we really need leadership who, uh, who, who are willing to put the American people in their interest uh, first. I mean, uh, we may be citizens of the world, as some of our recent leaders have said, but um, we need a president who's president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, rather than having been groomed for this position your whole life, like some of the candidates we get in other parties, uh, you, you and uh, Pastor Baldwin had very successful careers in your own right, raising your families, uh, trying to be a blessing to your individual communities, and uh, basically answered a call when your fellow citizens ask you to, to help in this particular respect. Uh, how have the large uh, media leaders in the evangelical movement, I know you briefly mentioned your talks with them, uh, like, for example, like Dr. Dobson, uh, Janet Parshall, uh, the Council on National Policy and the like, how have they responded to your campaign and your positions? Well, I would say uh, with, uh, with benign neglect would be the best way to put it. Uh, I had discussions with them, but only before. The campaign actually started. Uh, they are clearly not supportive of us, and uh, really will do nothing to help us. I mean, they—they're um, Republicans all the way. Even though Dr. Dobson, the man that I've admired my whole life, and my wife and I raised our daughter uh, with his advice and books and so forth, uh, he said he would not support. Uh, McCain under any circumstances, but uh, now he seeks a way out of that commitment because the alternative is just too horrible, you see. Uh, and the same with all uh, with, with several of the other leaders. They're, they're just not interested uh, unless you're a Republican. Uh, I've been in these groups for many years and talked to them many, many times. And uh, we share so many things together and so many uh, commonalities. But um, um, if you break away from the Republican Party because it no longer shares your your views, your principles, um, you're dead to them, basically. So, the, I, I mean, I don't want to have you speculate on what they're thinking is. Myself, personally, I can't understand why... Any explanation for that other than the fact that they see that they have some kind of power that they want to hang on to, which I think is a facade anymore because I think not only the Republican leadership but even the rank-and-file Republican voters have told evangelicals that uh, 
they don't need them and their influence. They've chosen their own approach, and and it's it's, it's quite a watermark when we see the selection of John McCain. It's a message sent to evangelicals uh, that they're passe and that their their influence has waned. And they have some hard decisions to make. Either they can continue to be like Charlie Brown and hope that uh, Lucy's going to hold the football one more time, uh, whether it's picking uh, good judges or dealing with the pro-life issue or uh, the border, securing the border, other things, or they can look in a new direction and uh, try to vote on their principles. Uh, I, I know, and we've just got a couple minutes here, but uh, I do know they've, they've uh, uh, emphasized this uh, horrible scenario that would occur under an Obama administration. And I know it, it, there would be many terrible things, including uh, increased subjection to international law, greater taxes, diminished right for the unborn. But uh, would there not also be some horrible things that would happen under a McCain administration as far as eroding civil freedoms of speech and assembly, which will even come back and hit people of faith eventually, uh, increased government size and debt, financing by Federal Reserve agencies, uh, wider war and devastation and the like? Aren't, aren't those also similar threats? Yes, uh, plus all the threats you mentioned about Obama are still there from McCain. I mean, mm-hmm. You've probably read today that uh, when he was asked the question of whether Tom Ridge's pro-abortion record would eliminate him from being uh, vice president, he said, no, it wouldn't. Um, The other person he's considering, Joe Lieberman, a liberal Democrat, um, what could say more, uh, what could speak higher about these two parties being one and the same than the fact that they they cross each other like that it it uh you know it's embarrassing sometimes and sad to see these evangelical leaders once who were great right uh be publicly humiliated and just come back you know as the book of proverbs said uh like a dog to his own vomit you know they just keep coming back uh, no matter what humiliation they suffer the president refers to them as wackos and uh mccain obviously totally disrespects them and yet they beg him, uh, please return our phone calls. Let's talk about this. See if we mm-hmm. let's see if we can work through these issues. He won't even talk to them. Well, I've heard that just today that he's formed a Sunday school now in his group to uh, to see maybe if that might uh, sway evangelicals more. So uh, they're trying every kind of condescending trick possible. It reminds me of uh, watching something like the Jerry Springer show with uh, these abused spouses that cling to the men that continue to beat them or or a cops episode or something. It's very painful to watch, and it's up to evangelicals to uh, wake up and smell the coffee and see the opportunity that's there. Uh, I know we've come up to the end of our interview time, so I just want to ask you very quickly, can you explain to my listeners how they can find out more about the Constitution Party, your positions uh, in the current presidential campaign, and how they can support your work and get involved locally? Well, uh, they can go to our website. Our campaign website is baldwin2008.com. And uh, this coming Sunday, all day, uh, we have a, a money bomb going on where we're going to be on the radio, uh, myself and uh, Dr. Baldwin and many people from across the country uh, who support us from all walks of life. We're going to be on the uh, radio for for uh, 24 hours, I believe, uh, uh, raising money so people could listen to that. You can go to the, uh, uh, there's a link off of Baldwin 2008 to um, this uh, website. It's called no, World, no New World Order.com. Mm-hmm. 
and it is the central point for the uh, for the money bomb on those broadcasts. So we would certainly appreciate people doing that and helping us if it's at all possible. And individuals can make an impact in the Constitution Party. You don't have to be wealthy or powerful or well-connected like any other parties. You can come right in and immediately have a direct impact and make your presence known, right? Well, that's exactly right. I would say one of the most obvious uh, things about our party, as you pointed out yourself, is that uh, it's made up of uh, American citizens who, who love their country and are concerned, and they're just ordinary people like everyone else who, who are willing to give their time and commitment and and finances to try to save their country. Well, I want to thank you so much. There's so much more I want to ask you. Would you be willing to come back and talk to us again in some detail about some more issues? I know this has been an introduction, uh, but I would really like to have you come back and speak in greater detail. But I want to respect your time. You've got a lot of places to be at once. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, And I want to remind all our local listeners that you're a favorite son. You're uh, from Memphis and have your practice in Memphis here. So let's gather around our our, our Tennessee brother here and brother in the Lord, and let's just see some wonderful things happen for our country. And I want to just wish you Godspeed and and best wishes as you uh, try to ring the bell of liberty across the country here. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being with you. Well, you have an open invitation here, and you'll have a respectful uh, host and audience that, that wants to hear what you have to say. All right. And thanks I appreciate a, it. Thank you again. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And uh, continuing our Dim Sum Week. Dim Sum. Dim Sum Good Shows we've yes. got this week. Yeah. Uh, in, in our grab bag show that we've got for uh, this week, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to take a little break. Uh, yesterday we heard about uh, World Elite uh, worshiping a big owl yes. and offering a sacrifice. And it's a refreshing break. We go from the World Elite acting like uh, idiots to taking some very humble people in downtown Nashville who are, who are representing Christ. And acting very nobly in comparison. Yes, uh, they're trying to they're trying to get involved uh, locally, uh, regionally, and nationally. And uh, we're going to have to we're going to see what they have to say here today. And we we're going to have a great show with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they represent uh, Christian Action Against Apathy, the CAAA, mm-hmm. uh, birthed right here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have Brother Joshua Holmes and Pastor Joshua Stump uh, from the Anchor Fellowship uh, mm-hmm. Church downtown. Yep. So I think we need to go right on to it, if you don't mind. Let's lay into it. We're going to hear a little bit about Christian activism against the uh, evils of society. So with no further ado, uh, here's uh, Brother Joshua and Pastor Joshua, and then we'll be right back to summarize the Future Quake. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future, here yep. with... I am Tom Bionic. And we are interviewing uh, two friends here locally yeah. uh, in our area here. We have Brother Joshua Holmes representing the uh, Christian Action Against Apathy, or the CAAA. And also we have uh, Pastor Joshua Stump of the Anchor Fellowship uh, Church downtown. And uh, we're going to talk about the future of local Christian activism against societal evils. And I just want to thank both of you for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's just, just a pleasure to have you, and uh, we've been wanting to have, on, have you on for some time. Uh, you all are really an embodiment of what we uh, try to promote yeah. and uh, represent on our show here, Future Quake, of taking information and putting it to work for the kingdom. 
And uh, we're going to talk about some special things you all are doing here in the Nashville area. And all of our people who are listening locally via WENO or the Internet, I want to encourage you to, if you're intrigued by what you hear, to get, take part of what you hear. If you're listening over the Internet, maybe uh, it's time for you to start a local uh, CAA yeah. chapter when yeah, we're done. get involved. But don't, don't wait around. And I also want to thank you all for being uh, such good supporters of the Future Quake show, our humble show here on WNO, mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do to, to inform people about uh, information they may not be getting through other channels. And uh, we, we do our best uh, humbly to try to get that information out and um, uh, to be part of a catalyst of something uh, like the kind of work that you all are doing. And I just, again, want to thank you for your devoted service for, to the Lord in, in appearing today with us. Uh, to kick off our show, uh, could you give us just a real quick summary of both of your backgrounds and how it led to your activities here locally in Nashville? Well, um, this is uh, Brother Joshua Holmes. I, I grew up in in the church here in Nashville in a very charismatic church. And what what I kind of learned when I was a young child is that you know this process of of showing the Lord love by doing things for Him, and that would earn me His love. And it was really a false uh, teaching that um, gave me a false sense of hope. And when I left that church and started coming to the Anchor Fellowship several years ago, six or seven years ago, what I found was that God loved me and had a perfect plan for me. And it really encouraged me to want to find out what that calling and that plan was. And so what I learned from from the pastors and the teachers at the Anchor is what I feel like is God's true heart, that he loves us and wants us to do these things that he has for us, including caring for other people, showing them that they have a plan, and also fighting against these these false uh, doctrines and these false, um, you know, hopes that are in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what kind of general age range are you right now? I'm 23 years old. 23. And you have a family? Yeah, I'm married. And uh, Pastor Stump, uh, what about yourself? Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background uh, right now? Sure thing. Uh, I'm a little bit older than Josh, and most people just call me Stump around the anchor. Um, <laughs> but I'm uh, 34 and uh, was raised in a really conservative uh, Christian home. I was raised Baptist. Went to school for a season at uh, Liberty University and kind of got my, I don't know, got focused on the uh, more <laughs> evangelical, fundamentalist side of faith, I guess you could say. And uh, as I just grew, the Lord opened my eyes to uh, a culture of people that are creative musicians and artists. And I've just really fallen in love with them. And through a circumstance, many circumstances, the Lord brought me to Nashville. I worked in the music industry for a little while. I played music myself, and I just got inundated in the culture. And I found a lot of extremely passionate people in this in the in the counterculture movement. I guess you could say, if you're if you're talking about the way uh, the church perceives people, and um, we just had a vision. I was youth pastor for a number of years. I got connected with the Vineyard Movement, which was a very open movement uh, based out of uh, Southern California originally, and I just was loving their definition and their character of God, and that kind of woke me up, I guess. And mm-hmm. I think that's 
the way I feel. I've been in a process of waking up. I felt like I've been asleep my life. Hmm. And as I get older, as I learn more, as I connect more with the character of God, I'm becoming more aware of my surroundings and my calling and what God has for me and just trying to do the best I can in that. Okay. Well, uh, it sounds like your church is really becoming a um, gravitational point uh, for other uh, like-minded people, particularly people in the artistic community, but people that are looking for something very, very real. And uh, that's the word out on the street from what we hear up in the uh, out in the, <laughs> the frontier on the area on the, on the edges <laughs> yeah. of, of Nashville is that uh, you, you've created something there and... Uh, uh, Brother Joshua, there's sort of an example of that, of um, people who want to make a difference in their world and want to use their creative talents and abilities and, and worldview and channel them in ways that serve the Lord. That's, that's a good reputation to have, I guess. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's I don't why, get much feedback on my end. So well, that's... <laughs> That's, okay, <laughs> that's the word we hear out here. Hey, uh, we want to we want to go on and jump in about this uh, group, uh, uh, Christian Action Against Apathy, the sure. CAAA. Can you tell us a little bit about it, what its purposes are and, and its goals? Definitely. Um, we have three main tiers that we work with. Um, we work with bringing truth um, of information uh, to a world that is that is full of disinformation and where people don't really know uh, what's really going on as far as character of God and also uh, societal evils in the world. And we also bring um, a heart of service to what we do in serving others, and we believe that through serving people, we ourselves can also be healed of things that we deal with in life and struggles that we have. And then the third tier is, is the actual action of standing up for people that don't have a voice for uh, people whether it be here locally in Nashville or um, throughout the U.S. or internationally, uh, what we try to do is work with a lot of ministries um, that are already doing work overseas, especially such as human trafficking mis- uh, ministries and uh, ministries that deal with clean water in Africa and the HIV-AIDS crisis, um, to really encourage them and help to bring the awareness here locally to what's going on throughout the world. So... Uh, one of the things we try to do here in Nashville is we run a food pantry out of our church, and basically the idea behind that is feeding feeding those in need, whether it be homeless or uh, someone who is just poor, and definitely trying to build relationships with people, um, understanding you know their situation and their struggles that they have, um, and also providing them not just with food but with a sense of hope in Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. It's been it's been a really humbling experience and really uh, just such a privilege to do this ministry and to do um, the work of Jesus. We feel and uh, we hope to do more things locally and to um, you know understand economic things and what's going on nationally so that we can better serve people uh, on a local and national and international level. Okay, so so yeah, you're really also like okay. part of it is just kind of understanding the story about how it came along. Um, if that's cool for me to say that for a minute, I just, like I said, I feel like well, all of us have been on a journey, and we're all asking questions and trying to do that as we go along. And the thing I started to realize is that the church, especially here we are in the uh, in the South, and it seems like there's a there's a, 
a predetermined uh, idea of Christianity, especially in the South, that all Christians are going to vote a certain way, all Christians have uh, the same political views um, on issues on war, on issues on poverty, mm-hmm. and all of all of these different things. And for me, I got deeply into a study with the book of Revelation. In chapter 3, John writes a letter to the church of Laodicea. And I think it was just like a, a, a total epiphany one day. I was reading the scripture, and I felt like the Lord said, this is, this is the condition of the church, and especially the condition of the church in the South. I mean, I can only judge that because that's where I live and that's what I see. But seeing that it's a church that is wealthy, that um, is watered down, is lukewarm, and the Lord says, I'm going to come and spit you out of my mouth. And the church will reply, but look how wealthy we are, and look at all the programs we have, and, and look how fantastic we are. And and Christ makes a makes an offer there. He says, I would urge from you to uh, buy from me a gold which is refined in fire. He says, to put on the white garments that would cover up our shameful nakedness. Because he, remember, he says, we're naked, we're poor, we're blind, we're wretched. And something in all of this just clicked in my brain. I mean, it was like huge. And I realized that everything we've been living for in the body of Christ is this, it's upside down. It's, it's not the way God preached it, in, 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 the way Jesus taught it in the, in the New Testament as far as how we're to live in the kingdom of God. And so when I start to look around, I see a church and I mean my church, I'm talking about the anchor, and I'm talking about the churches in our neighborhood, I'm talking about the churches in our city, in our state, I just see apathy. I see a sense of mm-hmm. entitlement. You know, we're a small ministry too, we deal with finances and trying to stretch our pennies as far as we can, and this overall attitude that, hey, if you're financially struggling, then you're doing something wrong. God is rejecting you. And this whole message just, just, did not make any sense. And I think I had come to a place personally in my heart where I'm like, we've got to teach the gospel in a clear way, the way Christ did, and we've got to model the example. We've got to start loving and caring for the poor. Mm-hmm. We've got to do something tangible against the darkness in our society. And I think it was just out of a desperate place of having no idea what to do or even where to begin to solve these problems that we all started to dialogue and we all started to think about the CAAA and Mm -hmm. how can we challenge the church to wake up. And I know when I was in the, uh, I was in Prague earlier this year and I saw a, a beggar there and it really just, it really hit me hard. What I saw was a man, he was laying, uh, down on his stomach with his face in the street, cobblestone street there. His face was in the ditch where the water ran, and he had a little cup out in front of him. And we'd taken uh, a bunch of kids from our ministry school there. We were walking down the street, and I was the last one, probably out of a group of 13, 14 people. And as each person walked by, I was the only one in the group that saw this guy. And I looked around the neighborhood at the streets. No one else saw him because he was just so low, and he was there. And it really felt like the Lord hit me at that moment and said to me, this is what the church of Laodicea is doing. Hmm. They walk past the poor, those in need, those who don't have a voice every day. 
just, church. Just like the uh, the Pharisees did uh, in with yeah. the Good Samaritan story. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, so, me, I don't know. And we still haven't figured this out. This is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing work to figure out how we can shake off our apathy. Right. Do, do you think... Um, that that issue is the one thing that the, the the lack of that observed compassion is the one thing that really limits more impact with uh, the younger generation and getting them involved in the the work of the the church Christ Church is because they don't see that kind of activity they just see people railing against either you know whatever the sin of the week is whether it's homosexuality or or certain other activities or this or that in, we're only known for the thou shalt nots. And we don't see that we embrace people and try to try to lift them up through the power of Christ. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big problem. And in our society today, um, the church has got to offer a reason. You know, Christ says he come to give us life and life more abundant. But when we look around the church, we see death. We don't see life. And what I've noticed by, you know, guys like Holmes and other fellows and girls that are hanging around at the anchor all the time is they're here out of free will because they love the Lord and they want to be used and they don't want to be a part of a faith that has no bite, a faith that has no muscle, a faith that has no compassion, right? a faith that has no love or sensitivity. Mm-hmm. They want something so real. I think yeah. the church has a responsibility to, to, to inspire people to do this stuff, and that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, well... I, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, some of the activities that the CA is targeted to do. You've mentioned a few things that relate to the poor. Are there some specific ministries, human trafficking, uh, if you could elaborate a little bit more on that, and any other ministries that, that you have for initial uh, targets? Definitely. Um, we work here in Nashville with another church called the First Wesleyan Church on Shelby Avenue, and we have a Thursday night street church basically um, every week that uh, – we feed people and we give them groceries for the week, and then we have a, a regular church with worship and ministry time and uh, teaching. And what we try to do with that is invite the community out to grow together and to build relationships. And then our food bank ministry is obviously targeted towards the poor and towards those in need. And then with the human trafficking, we're working with uh, Free for Life Ministries, which is a ministry located here in Nashville. And they have border monitoring stations in Nepal and various places throughout the world that basically will um, try to track people that are being, you know, trafficked uh, through other countries into other countries and will basically grab them and save their lives and give them Mm -hmm. a place to stay and a place to have protection. And they try to work with uh, the the law there to... uh, execute the archers, you know, to put them behind bars so that mm-hmm. they can't do any more damage. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of different ministries that we like to work with because these ministries are already doing a lot of good work. Um, I think International Justice uh, Mission is doing a lot of good work um, as far as working with other uh, countries with the, with the legal aspect mm-hmm. of putting these people behind bars. But there's still a lot of work to be done, and um, I know that, that financially is – that finances is the main thing that that these ministries need to to have more uh, border monitoring stations and more homes, mm-hmm. safe houses, 
and things. So um, Free for Life Ministries is the main ministry we're working with now in human trafficking. Mm -hmm. The real issue in Nepal is the fact that the borders are open. Yeah, they're, and they're there completely are no porous, border from control. what I understand. Yeah. Mm. And so you have the traffickers going in there, working con jobs or just buying children, and they're bringing them all over the pool without, without anyone stopping them. Mm -hmm. So it's really a challenge to get the people of Nepal to stand up and to monitor, monitor their border and to put a stop to this behavior. But people need to be inspired. So we're actually taking a group of, of guys down at the guys and girls down at the end of the year to, to Nepal to uh, to work on getting some more of these stations set up. Mm -hmm. for them to do that. Wow. So so you're reaching all the way around the world. Uh, yeah. What we're trying to do is uh, what we're trying to do is get a um, a local issue. Which for right now we're dealing with poverty in our city. Of course, it's against the law to be homeless. Uh, for the most part, it's against the law for ministries to feed the homeless without a certain license. So we're having a conflict there. We're praying about how we can be a voice to care for the homeless in our city. So we, that's a local issue example. And then we're trying to do something. Uh, we're trying to start looking into something that is national. So one of the things that we're looking at nationally is this issue with uh, the fluoride in the water, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. started here in Tennessee and has gone all around the world with the overfluoridation of the water, which is causing sickness and problems. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out how we can help people pass legislation to get the fluoride removed out of drinking water, which this mm -hmm. is the kind of thing nobody really thinks about much. Now, now as I when understand you look at the research right that there's ample, uh, you see that it's managing. There's ample and government trying to give reinforcement to something that is international and right now we're looking at the uh, the trafficking situation. Mm -hmm. So and of course we're a very small group so we can't do we can't work locally and nationally and internationally like by ourselves. So yeah. we're just trying to find people who are already doing the work and let us come alongside and reinforce that somehow, and then if we can open up more chapters around the country, then we'll have more boots on the ground to help. And mm -hmm. each chapter, wherever they are, will have a local, a national, and an international issue that they can choose to adopt and to, to get behind. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You're surrounded by churches with all sorts of money, with really, really fancy facilities, with lots and lots of people who've been blessed and well remunerated financially, and these issues are right under our nose, whether it's the homelessness of the people in our own neighborhood here or whether it's uh, these issues around the world on the other side of the world that no one else is addressing. And they're not jumping in. Uh, I yeah. hope some of those people are listening to this radio show right now Sometimes and are convicted by what yeah. they're hearing right now of so some people with very little resources downtown that have decided they're not going to, they, they cannot in their conscience tolerate anymore not taking action on these issues. I wonder, sometimes I wonder if there's, an, there's some sort of an undercurrent of spiritual warfare that needs to go on with a lot of these things. Uh, listening to uh, the CAAA had Colette Berku talk at one of their meetings, and I was, I was lucky enough to listen to her talk. And she, she, was, she works for Free for Life Ministries. Uh, there for our listeners who don't who don't know who they are, they work with uh, uh, you know the sex trafficking uh, and underage underage kids. 
she talked, and some of the stuff she said was just horrifying. And uh, talking with her, she mentioned that she gave a talk in front of 2,000 people. And she said, all we need is like $10 will we'll, we'll save one of these people. And she got one donation in, in front of 2,000 people. Wow. Yeah. At, a, at a church, and that just floored me. Well, I can tell you from, yeah. from uh, my personal experience, uh, uh, we previously did a show at a station um, that were people of uh, a certain political persuasion that believed in real strong activism, mm -hmm. and most of them, I, my understanding is they looked at the church as looking the other way when these needs were out there on the street, and it was right. an impediment to them being able to see what Christ had to offer. Yeah. Uh, that the lack of action and having these needs right in front of our face that were being ignored really was a stumbling block for them to see the call of Christ. And uh, I see that yeah. you all are giving an opportunity to remove that, and yeah. you're also removing an excuse for people who talk about the hypocritical church and why won't they do this or do that. They're going to look and see you doing that, and immediately they're going to realize that it's a reality. The, the the call and the ministry of Christ and what he calls us in the new life to be and that we are our brother's keeper we are mm -hmm. intended to be salt and light and that's not just the high profile kind of things from when the cameras around <laughs> and uh, said, Dr. Future. it takes you all as examples to be out there on the street hanging around with the people nobody else wants to hang out with uh, you know I've been involved in major churches in Nashville that, that went on the record as saying they didn't want homeless people around their church because it looked bad for the church because they wanted to get more of the yuppies that live downtown in the condos to come to the church. Really? So uh, I didn't spend much time around there after that. Uh, yeah. But, but that's literally the, the position uh, that they had. And um, I, I don't know how pervasive, how much that is articulated or just, just sort of a, one of those unspeakable positions, but that's got to right. be confronted. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciate you all so much for setting an example and maybe creating a little shame in yeah. some of the other people around. So maybe you can coalesce uh, and, and have this activity. But, you know, for all the things that you see advertised in a town, all the activities going on, it's your all's work that needs to be on the front page of the newspaper. It needs to be on the bulletins of every church. It needs to be something people see on billboards. And I'm just hoping our, our little humble show maybe can be one step toward getting you all the attention you need. All of you who are listening out there, uh, please uh, prayerfully consider getting on board and helping. Yeah. Make a trip downtown. Actually see how people live in a little different environment than your, your comfortable suburb or your, your uh, development that you live in. Uh, go down and see where, where people are, are living on the street or, or just maybe just barely getting by and need a helping hand. Or jump into an international issue that the church yeah. hasn't really taken a visible position to address. Um, are, there, are there any other issues, if you all had all of the resources that you needed, you had all of the manpower, people jumped on board and were helping, what would be other issues? that you would uh, extend yourself to and address that have been laid on your heart that are being unaddressed? Wow. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that, but I'll say that I was listening to another radio show one day, and uh, the man... Speaking said, 
he started to dialogue, and this is a, a secular show, but he started to dialogue about evil and corruption in the world, and he used this, this phrase called the Luciferian spirit. And I thought, hmm. well, that's pretty fun. And he just started to talk about darkness. And then when I go back and I read the New, the New Testament, I see that this is a real battle that's going on. And it is between good and evil. It's between light and dark. And I start thinking about all the things that have been taught in my life. It's not about attacking a culture or society. It's not about harassing people because of sin in their life. It is about resolving what are the things in people's life that bring them to that place of destruction. What is happening in their own personal life? And I think that when we see the commission that God gave to the church, he said, that's your job. Your job is not to go out and condemn sin as much as it is to evaluate what is causing these people to sin. Most of it is hurt, Mm -hmm. pain, and Mm -hmm. rejection, and a need. And so the reason the question is tricky, because I don't, there is no limitation on that question, because that Luciferian spirit of greed and darkness and apathy is so huge you could spend your whole life never even scrape the surface. But God calls us to do it anyways, and he calls all of us yes. to participate in somehow, in some way. Uh, so I don't know. I have a lot of passionate people around me. Um, you know, I'm sure there are countless things that we could, we could continue to, to take on. Hmm. I think I would like to motivate other Christians to getting involved. If I could just get other people to to become involved. And again, we're not trying to be the one horse show in town. We're trying mm-hmm. to also reinforce other people's ministry mm-hmm. network with other people. Uh, well, I, I would just challenge my listeners out there that um, if you could forego uh, a few nights of a month not watching a, uh, a rental movie, uh, take the money from the rental movie, uh, put that in, uh, the modest coffers of the CAAA. Take that time you would spend entertaining yourself with mindless entertainment or the same TV shows that have nothing new to add that program us with all sorts of uh, character-weakening material. And instead, go down to a CAA meeting. Meet some of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Discuss issues that are challenging our society and that are opportunities to minister to people, an opportunity to demonstrate Christ to other people and actually make that something that actually enriches and makes your life fulfilled is in serving Christ and in doing a shoulder to shoulder with fellow believers. Wouldn't that be a great idea to augment what you're doing there? Oh uh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And the thing is we'll we'll pass those resources along too because we can't be all over the world. We can't do everything. But um I just wanna you know it's interesting. Uh, I think that I, I've referred a few times to waking up. This is sort of a theme that I um, have embraced in my life. And I think that as I, as a pastor, began to wake up to what was happening in the world, it was so shocking to me that if at first you, you go through denial, and then you go into depression, and then you get angry, and then you get Determined. It's like a and cycle then, of death almost. You know? It is. Yeah. And and then God's grace hits you and empowers you to take it on. 
and you figure, wow, this is what God created me to do. We have to take on these principalities of darkness, and mm-hmm. that's not people. Those are spiritual things we have mm-hmm. to overcome. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's just, I want to wake up. You know, we first started to wake up. We started a little club of about seven or eight guys, and we'd watch documentaries, and we'd talk in, in the basement, and we called ourselves the Rooster Club. We just wanted to be like roosters and wake people up. And the longer we did that, the more informed we got. But then it started to bring a real sense of depression and hopelessness because we felt so small compared to the problem. And it was like, well, let's turn this, let's turn this, um, this feeling of angst and let's turn it into something productive for the kingdom of God and just rely on Him to step up and answer the prayer. Right, right, and, and as I was alluding to, there was a joy that comes with working alongside your fellow believers in an effort that's bigger than any one of you, and to actually see God's hand working ahead of you. Uh, and even if there's no other accolades, uh, if you don't become a celebrity, if it's not lucrative, all these other kind of things, being able to address a need and take responsibility for it, like adults. And to say, Absolutely. we have responsibility in our community for this. Uh, there may be few of us. We may have a, a very small impact initially. But we're going to set an example. And maybe we will encourage and embolden others to stand up alongside us. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I see you're at this stage right now. And I'm expecting that huge things are going to come out of what you all are going to be doing in the days ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you all are planning some things that... Uh, uh, you're going to try to get a little attention so you can bring some attention to these issues to a larger scope of the public? Do you have some ideas on things like that where people can find out about what you're doing in a greater way through the media or, or otherwise? Yeah, definitely. We um, have a documentary night that we're going to be doing every month coming up on the 30th, uh, which is a Saturday night at 7 o'clock at our church, The Anchor. Um, What's the address on that? It's 629 Third Avenue South. Okay, cool. Okay. So it's, it's it's like less than a mile from Broadway. And basically it's going to be a great opportunity to invite people out, both Christian and non-Christian, to really work together and awaken our spirits to these issues that are going on. Because I feel like that there's a lot of uh, issues, you know, especially social issues, where even non-Christians can be like, yeah, that makes sense that we need to work towards bettering those things. Right. And then hopefully through that, you know, people will will come to know the Lord and understand how much He loves them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the events that we're that we're going to be working with. Um, we're also working towards uh, raising support for our food bank ministry, so we can so we can continue to do it because I think it's a, a very vital ministry for for Nashville. And we hope that uh, we'll be able to do more local outreaches and more things to to be able to have people out, invite people to to serve, and to really uh, take action in what in what they're doing in their community. And you know, uh, one of the first events that we ever did that was fun and got a, got people stirred up a little bit was on the fifth anniversary in the war on the war in Iraq. Um, in, in the invasion of Iraq, we wanted to do a prayer walk from Centennial Park to the state capitol building. 
And even in our own congregation, there's so many different feelings and emotions about something like uh, war in Iraq. Sure. And so we really were saying, gosh, you know, it's not very cool for a church to take a strong political stand, but yet we have a moral obligation. And, and then what is that moral obligation? Is it for the war? Is it against? Are we... Are we fighting terrorism? Are we worrying about innocence? You know, and there was there was all this 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 debate, and so we just started to say, what are we called to do as a church? We're called to love and to pray, and so we had a prayer vigil. We prayed for every single innocent person lost in the war. We prayed for our troops. We prayed for our veterans. We prayed for our leaders. We prayed for husbands and wives and the children at home without them. And we were able to get sort of people who support the war on terror and people who are adamantly anti-war together under the banner of Jesus to come in agreement to pray, to pray, because we don't even have all the answers. We have to have God's intervention. And so we're going to do more stuff like that. It's also interesting that I met a young man who was um, very involved with um, trying to get some attention for all of the firefighters who were injured in the 9-11 uh, mm. disaster and some of their health issues and the things they're dealing with uh, with with, uh, with the pensions and them not getting compensation and the lung cancer and all the stuff that's happening. And so I just spent some time talking to him, not a Christian, and he was totally amazed that a pastor cared about that issue. And I, again, this is just, as you can probably tell by the, uh, the passion in my voice, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm outraged that someone would feel that the body of Christ doesn't care about issues like that either. So I think the body of Christ needs to get involved with a lot of different organizations, and we also need to get our hands dirty with non-believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got to interact with non-Christians because you mean like eating I with, see more eating love with and compassion many times outside of the church and in the church. And we need yeah. to come alongside of these people as the church and say, we feel your pain, we understand your passion. In fact, Jesus felt this way, and we're going to stand with you and support you. And that's hard. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Jesus, certainly his biggest criticism uh, was eating with sinners, and that mm-hmm. w- the criticism came from other religious leaders, and you will experience the same thing as well. Uh, we just had a gentleman on last week who has a ministry of deliverance for people who the church refuses to recognize and uh, does not make welcome in their church. And it's, right. time, f- it's time for the church to start uh, finding these people and, and asking their forgiveness and asking for opportunities to minister to them as Jesus would do, because when he returns, he's going to expect us to be intermixed with these people in the middle of ministering when he returns. Uh, absolutely. To, to, to find us busy. Uh, do you have any kind of long-term goals of the group right now that you're uh, looking at? Any kind of uh, milestones or goals that you set that you're going to try to attain? Well, heal the sick, raise the dead. <laughs> anything, <laughs> anything big? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we want to we want to just continue to awaken people. I think that how we move forward is to energize a lot of people. Everyone can give a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. 
and as cliche as it as it sounds, one kind act, whether you're giving a bottle of water to someone in front of your house or you're carrying groceries for the little old lady, these simple things are how we destroy the Luciferian spirit. We've just got to get more people to wake up and realize that, you know, this is one of the greatest sayings. I don't know if you said it, and I don't think I invented it, but I use it a lot. <laughs> we must live a life worth living for and live a life worth dying for. And I think if the church could do that, we wish that would be awesome. So I want to inspire and motivate people to come alongside of us. Uh, when are your meetings? Where, where can people come? And by the way, I want to let our uh, listeners know, we get a number of emails from people saying, how, how do I meet other like-minded people that like the stuff you talk about on Future Quake, the mm-hmm. issues we don't hear anywhere else? But I can't find anybody else that wants to talk about these things. It sounds like the CAAA and the Anchor is the ideal place for these people to come. When are these meetings, and uh, how can they uh, find out how to get with you guys? Well, right now we're meeting once a month, and the best way to stay in the loop about our meetings and what we're doing as far as our events and so forth is to go to meetup.com and type in Christian Action Against Apathy, and then you'll be able to get on our meetup group so that we can contact you and you can read about issues and things that we're dealing with. And um, our meetings are at our church at the Anchor, so it's a it's a great time to be able to come down, talk about these issues, work on on goals, um, plan events, and also they can come to uh, the the services that we have as well if they if they want to. So we usually meet on Sunday afternoon. And people who are not welcome in other churches, they're welcome at your place. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Everyone is welcome. You know, it's funny. A girl from my church called me this afternoon and she said uh josh i want you to know that i've just befriended two strippers and they really want to come visit the church and i I feel weird about asking this but i'm going to ask you anyways and and i already know the answer but i just gotta ask (laughs) is it okay for them to come Now, I was going to say, I love strippers, but my wife was my yeah. sister, so I, <laughs> Jesus loves everybody. So, yes, everybody needs to come and be involved in the body of Christ. And I'm convinced that as we point people to Jesus, Jesus and, this, and the Holy Spirit deals with the sin issues. Mm-hmm. We could spend less time dealing with, you know, criticizing sin and more time letting people know who Jesus is, what his character is like, then people will change. They will change. They do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, Do you anticipate um, that you'll be doing some high-profile things like uh, demonstrations or other kind of things outside downtown that will draw some media attention or things like that? We definitely want to. We've we've talked about uh, doing demonstrations in front of Nashville Metro Water, dealing with the fluoride issue, um, and, you know, we've talked about doing, uh, we're definitely going to do more prayer walks uh, through downtown, and, um, you know, during those times, we hold up signs that, that have, you know, statements of love, but also statements of truth, and, and you know, trying to point out things that, that we all need to be focusing on as Christians, mm-hmm. and that a lot of non-Christians are, are already, you know, taking part in fighting against. Okay. So definitely. Well, uh, we would like uh, to be a, a forum that you can inform us to announce yeah. when these are. 
so we can call all hands to come down. Yeah, feel free to keep us on your on your mailing list. Feel free to tell us what's yeah. going on. So so both of our listeners can actually come <laughs> down and be there with you. Definitely. Uh, actually, we I, I want to encourage it. I, I just want you to be able to send up the bad signal through uh, Future Quake. Uh, so we can let everyone know that uh, we have some kindred spirits downtown, and mm-hmm. we have an SOS issue of concern in our community, maybe even something on the other side of the world. Uh, however, we're we're getting together and we're making our presence known and felt, uh, so we can get the word out. Maybe even let other media know in Nashville about what's going on, and we can start making this impression known. And and all of my listeners, I hope this is good news for you all, that you found a group of people who care. Who, who care about the concerns of the world that aren't being addressed and a place that you can be welcome and feel like you can make a difference as well, too. And I want to thank you all for being a catalyst of getting this off the ground. I know it's lonely, particularly at the beginning days when there's very few people. I don't know how many are in your group right now, but uh, I know it's very, very hard getting things off the ground. And when something's a great big success, it's always easy to draw people then. Well, Dr. Future, you told me that, uh, who was it, Carrie preached in in India for 20 years. William Carey. William Carey preached in India for yeah. 20 years and didn't win a single person until the very end. That's my understanding, like 20 years before he had his converts. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I just want to salute you for what you're doing right now, and I'll expect you to come back and let us know the next step of what's going on so we can uh, send the call out to everybody. And uh, we look forward to being there for the uh, movie night on the 30th. Yeah. Awesome. Dr. Future, thank you so much. Well, if anybody would like to meet Dr. Future and uh, Tom Bionic. We'll be there. Yep. Uh And uh, we would sure look forward to meeting you. I I have to warn you, we... We probably are much more attractive than what yeah, people we've got, would Yeah, we've got faces built for radio. <laughs> yes, it's but, true. Uh, but, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your service for the Lord. Yes. And one thing I just want to mention in closing on the um, uh, what you're doing regarding the prayer time, uh, regarding the war, I don't know if there's any way to do this, but if you can find any way to contact churches in Iran and have them join with you at a time of prayer, I think that was something oh. that could be very, very powerful. Hey, that's interesting. I love it. There's, there's got to be a place there, and uh, anything you can send them about uh, who we are, pictures, pictures of us praying, if they have pictures of them that we could receive, that we could put in front of us when we're in prayer. And, and that's uh, the thing, is remembering that these these are people. Mm-hmm. They're real people. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And there are people there who worship Jesus. And yeah, the they're not are, just comic book villains, which is kind of what's portrayed in the media. And, and they're contending for the faith. And uh, one thing they're having to deal with is that the image we portray of Christianity mm-hmm. is something that makes their, their life difficult in trying to fulfill their mission where they are. So maybe that might be something we could do to even help them in their mission of reaching out to the people in their community. I love it. Well, I love this idea. Well, guys, we're going to have to go, but I want to thank you so much. And yeah, we'll you guys pick, were great. We'll pick things up at the uh, at the movie yeah. movie night, and uh, everybody, please come down and join us down there. It's starting the catalyst of something that's going to be really, really big in Nashville, and it's going to be good, and it's something that Jesus Christ is leading, and it's going to be something that's peaceful, that's loving, that uh, reaches out and builds bridges, and it's going to be restorative. And something that actually uh, builds up and edifies everyone. And I'm I'm really excited to know you all and to be a witness here to see what's happening. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Keep us posted. We want you to be regulars, okay? 
We will. We will do it. And tell everybody to listen to Future Quake too. <laughs> everybody. We'll do that too. <laughs> but God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Okay, thank yeah. you. Bye now. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And it's uh, Friday. Friday. It's time for tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. That's the future tremor. Right. <clears throat> and it's the last day of our dim sum week. Yes. On uh, future quake Indeed. this week. Indeed. <clears throat> it's interesting to pause back and look in retrospect of this week, the way we were. This was like a whirlwind. Yeah, uh, lots of people. Yeah. Uh, we started talking about the Bohemian Grove. Mm-hmm. And about your visit to it, yeah, your yeah, remarkable we played, we visit. Even, even played the thing. You know, I would like to do something real quick. We didn't get have a chance to get it in there, but I would like to give directions on how to get to the front gate of the Grove. Okay. If that's Somebody okay. wants to go yeah. here in that area? Um, let's see. We do have some California listeners, yeah. too. If you want to do this, what you want to do is you want to fly into... Uh, Just do it quickly. Okay. Fly into San Francisco, and then... Um, let's see. Oh, where's my... Oh, I'm fired. Okay. Let's do it later. Okay. There you go. Well, <clears throat> he called an audible on us here. Um, well, do you want me to share a couple quick stories about updates? Uh, I would love for you to share a couple quick stories. Because we were running uh, close on time here. Uh, <clears throat> this was a notice that was on the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think, sort of a left-wing kind of thing. Nah. It says, <laughs> uh, the Huffington Post. <clears throat> just noticed that Barack Obama and uh, John McCain are slated to attend the doings at Bohemian Grove in late July. As most know, this is an exclusive gathering of establishment figures. Mm-hmm. Letting off steam in a grove filled with redwoods may be a needed recre- recreation sure. for the high-powered, but it would appear that the overtones of the gatherings are less than savory. Do you think Barack would uh, be wise to attend a woodland romp where folk allegedly dress up like clan figures and conduct simulated human sacrifices? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a <coughs> appended a quote from the page here on Truth News about it. Uh, so it says, uh, outgoing George W. Bush and both of his presumptive replacements, John McCain and Barack Obama are rumored to be in attendance at this year's gathering and the annual get together, the global elite. And, uh, it was, uh, run until July 27th. It's a Bohemian Grove. It's a 136 year old all male encampment complete with restaurant bars, stages, and lodges caters to around 2000 members of the global elite, uh, on a yearly basis in July. Mm-hmm. So, uh, former attendees, Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon, uh, Henry Kissinger, uh, Colin Powell, and uh, so... Stephen, Stephen Bechtel, the right. Bechtel family. Right. And uh, <clears throat> another quick word, if you've got a minute for me about this... Lay it on us. ...is about a recent event that happened this year where a Vanity Fair uh, editor was arrested at Bohemian Grove. Uh, <clears throat> this is coming from a report out of San Francisco. Uh uh, Pat Murphy, San Francisco Sentinel editor and publisher, reports that Vanity Fair writer and editor Alex Shumatov was arrested earlier this week for trespassing at the world-famous Bohemian Grove, the exclusive getaway of some of the world's most powerful men who gather there every year in July for two weeks. By the way, I, I don't think I've ever heard another Christian show talk about Bohemian Grove. No, of course not. It's too um, important. But some of their <laughs> I don't know. But some of their friends they support go to Bohemian Grove. Oh sure, yeah. I some mean, of the people they would, speak for would would a, would somebody who describes himself as the evangelical president? Uh, I think his the people who voted for him would feel very different if uh, they knew that he said that mm-hmm. all Jews, Muslims, everybody goes to heaven. You don't need to know Jesus. 
and uh, gets together in with a couple thousand of his buddies in the redwoods and wears a big red robe. Yeah, uh, including uh, the one that they're currently behind right now. Yeah. Uh, the one currently looking to elect. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> it says here that uh, um, Mr. Murphy pokes fun at this uh, gentleman, making light of his uh, Pebble Beach sweater, then tells us that uh, Shumatov was writing a story about the club's plan to thin its Douglas fir and diseased oak trees to help prevent the forest fires that have swept Big Sur, North Carol- California, mm-hmm. an assignment he accepted at the behest uh of uh, someone who was described by Murphy as a disgruntled former member of the Bohemian Club. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Bohemian Club, uh, let me see, I'm going to skip about uh, some of the information about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few journalists have gotten into the Grove and been allowed to tell a tale. One exception is, is Philip uh, uh, Weiss, whose uh, November 1989 Spy magazine yeah. piece provides the most detailed inside account, and members maintain that the goings-on are not new towards the Newsworthy event, merely private fun, even though all of the world's elite that don't even get together in the United Nations go here, and it's not newsworthy. Yeah. In fact, official business is conducted there. Policy speeches are regularly made by members and guests, and the club privately boasts that the Manhattan Project was conceived on its grounds. Yeah, sure. I'd say that Manhattan Project was a pretty big deal. Well, I have a, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, multi-generational. Uh, Himself? Grove. Well, his family's the multi-generational yeah. Grove Spartan. attendees. You know what yeah, I mean. I know what you mean. His father was part of the Manhattan Project. And through mm-hmm. his son, who's also a Grove member, he's mentioned that uh, that that's true. Wow. Well, uh, <clears throat> let me just go on. Uh, however, as and this is just a quoting from the person from the San Francisco Sentinel. Mm-hmm. As Alex Jones has starkly revealed, far more sinister things other than policy speeches go on at the Grove. And that is why journalists such as Dirk Matheson... San Francisco bureau chief for People magazine were removed. Matheson's entree into the secret world of the Grove was cut short on July 20th, 1991, when he was recognized by two of the participants in the festivities, executives from Time Warner, People's publisher. Hmm. More loyal to the Grove than to journalistic endeavor, they had the reporter removed from the premises. In other words, they didn't want him to see as an employee of what his bosses were doing there. Wow. Uh, That's my comment. Time Warner is not the only media corporation with Bohemian connections. Uh, the list of the fourth estate bigwigs uh, is extensive. The former CEO of Times Mirror, uh, William Randolph Hearst, as you mentioned, uh, folks from Scripps Howard, Tom Johnson, president of CNN, and former publisher of the LA Times. In other words, a wide, right away of corporate media bigwigs participate in the festivities, which include the worship of Luciferianism, the sacrifice of human effigies, arcane drug ceremonies before a large stone owl, mystery religion incantations and other religions, mm-hmm. other rituals, apparently including sodomy. And that's why journalists are not allowed. Matheson, however, was lucky to have been simply removed. Chris Jones, webmaster for Radio Talk Show host Jack McLam, who I've considered having on our show, hmm. was imprisoned after he infiltrated the Grove as an employee and filmed the festivities. The film footage was used in Alex Jones' The Order of Death video. Uh, Chris is currently in California jail for showing his neighbors the video's dark secrets inside Bohemian Grove in order of death by Alex Jones. Uh, some of the neighbors were minors, which the court re- uh, ruled as justification for imprisonment. Chris was sentenced for three years in the jail in Orange, California. He's been transferred to the Wasco State Prison in California. That's a pretty heavy for, prison. Too. Really? Yeah. Where his life could be in danger, it says. Yeah, that's not a joke. Obviously, the elite were not amused by Chris Jones' attempt to reveal the girl from the inside out. 
Outgoing President George W. Bush and both of his presumptive replacements, John McCain and Barack Obama, are rumored to be in attendance at this year's Bohemian Grove Gathering, an annual get-together of the global elite on the 27th of July. Uh, you'd think, as a supposed journalist, Pat Murphy of the San Francisco Sentinel, this is a commentary on mm-hmm. who printed this, would be interested in such bizarre activity going on in his backyard. Uh, that right there is a good enough reason for my regular comment of voting for the third party of your choice. Yeah. Anybody who's involved in that kind of activity, to me, is not deserving of being any kind of leader in our country. Yeah. Ding. Hit the nail on the head prize. Politics aside, I'm not trying to go into any particular details. Vote for any party you want as long as it's not one of the major two. Those people uh, are plays up for fools. Sure. And they're they're like wide open about it. Scott McClellan said, uh, well, I just saw the quote. I don't know when he said it, but uh, I saw the quote just a couple days ago. He said, well, you know, we uh, issued talking points to the major to all the commentators of the major news networks for over the Iraq war. And they said, so you essentially you made them spokespersons. He said, oh, absolutely. Well, we've we've read on the news here a Pentagon, and we're not trying to pick just on Republicans. This is an innate feature. Yeah, this is of our red elite, or blue, our yeah. late uh, political establishment. They've actually had a program in the Pentagon to put retired uh, ex generals. Uh, in these positions with talking points that mm-hmm. were given to be, quote, independent experts mm-hmm. to promote the war. Yeah, I like how you said, quote, independent experts, because right. it's just... But that's how they were portrayed. <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. That's how they were portrayed. So yeah. those were just a couple yeah. of Bohemian Grove yeah. stories. Did you I have did, any final... I did. Here, as I was trying to do before I uh, yeah. called the Audible there, what you want to do uh, to get to Bohemian Grove, you want to fly into San Francisco and rent a car. Uh, you'll drive north on Highway 101 until you get to Santa Rosa, then take Highway 12 West until you hit Gravenstein Highway. That's not very far, a couple miles, and go north. Eventually, you're going to hit uh, Highway 116, right? You'll get up in the mm-hmm. Redwoods there. Uh, you'll go west again on Highway 116 until you come to the town of Monte Rio. Uh, you'll go through – Monte Rio is kind of a one-lane a one mm-hmm. town. Yeah. Uh, right before you come, there'll be a bridge that will go over the Ru- Russian River. Uh, there'll be kind of a four-way stop you come to, mm-hmm. uh, and you'll see it. You want to go left onto Bohemian Highway, right? So you go left mm-hmm. onto Bohemian Highway there. You go over a bridge. Uh, to your right, I believe, is the um, is like a, a, a center. What mm-hmm. is it? The the, the the Chamber of Commerce kind of okay. you know community center. Yeah. Uh, then you'll hit Bohemian Avenue, right? Uh-huh. Turn left on Bohemian Avenue, follow that around, and that puts you right at the front door of uh, – Bohemian Grove. Okay. Then they will arrest you, and then they take you to that prison we were talking about, right? I don't recommend. I don't recommend breaking in. Okay. I just recommend if you want to go see, if you doubt what we're talking about, go see the front door. Or just get and get roughed up by security like you did, and leave it at that. Well, they didn't actually lay hands on me, but it was a little bit verbal. Well, because they were intimidated by you. That must have been it. Did you say, "Don't you know who I am"? Yeah, and that's when they pulled the guns out. Okay. <laughs> Chased uh, me off. You know, being serious though. This is the real deal. This is not some kind of made yeah, up fantasy, is, internet rumor kind it, of thing. It sounds nuts. Just go to YouTube and type Bohemian Grove Exposed. And they know that the more nuts the kind of stuff they do, the more they can flaunt it. Because sure. nobody believes it. Sure. Well and I think that I think that there's been a real move in the in the community, in the in the culture at large to balkanize different segments of the population so people who find this stuff out 
uh, are immediately marginalized because they make artificial enemy left, yeah. right, mm-hmm. Republican, Democrat, yeah. that kind of thing mm-hmm. that keeps the the proletariat busy. Yes, keeps them occupied while they go mm-hmm. about their business. Rather like uh, rather like that movie Brazil. Yeah, where they constantly had this threat of you yeah. know enemies and terrorism and all that 1984, stuff. I yeah. was mm-hmm. war with Eurasia or East yep. Asia. Yes, yes, yes. And that's their that's their approach. Mm-hmm. So, if you have any interest in hearing more about this. Uh, if you'd like for us to pursue it further, send us an email, and yeah. uh, Merv will let you know at the end of the show about how to do that. Um, would you like me to do another quick story, or would you like to do one? I'm, I'm going to do the uh, – I'd like to do this one that came off of uh, the online edition of India's national newspaper. Okay. Um, and I want to send this one out to some friends of mine who uh, had some interesting experiences uh, with uh, kind of an interesting group from India. We, uh, uh, we got to meet some Sai Baba devotees. Which is very interesting for people like me who are completely inerrant. You are just like getting in and out of intense situations. <clears throat> you notice that? It's my hair. You it's... came into a group of a Sai Baba cult? Yes, we did. Me and a couple of other friends of mine, we went and yeah. played, and uh, they were all Sai Baba devotees. That's S-A-I-B-A-B-A. Yep. Look it up in Wikipedia. Yep, check them out. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. I did after he told me about it's, it. It's nutty. It's okay. nutty. Okay, so anyway, what do we got from India? Um, Obama was given a spirit-infused idol, according to the online edition of India's national newspaper. Uh, a 15-kilogram, 21-inch brass idol will reach Obama by August 24. <laughs> oh, this is I, this is too. But this nuts. is a serious newspaper. Yeah, this, is, newspaper. this is a real. This is oh, India's national newspaper. Yeah. Uh, Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama can now expect help from an unexpected quarter, Lord Hanuman. All India Congress Committee member Bridge Mohan Bama has organized 11 and an 11 day religious ceremony at Carol Bagh here for his success in the US elections. The idea of sending an idol of Hanuman dawned on him after friends in the United States mentioned a prominent American politician who carried a miniature Hanuman idol in his pocket for luck. Mr. Bama said speaking on the first day of the ceremony on Tuesday after hearing that, I decided to give to gift Mr. Obama a larger gold-plated version, along with the wishes of thousands of his supporters in this country," said the leader, struggling to lift the 15-kilogram, 21-inch brass idol. The first-day ceremony, ceremony. Oh, here comes a doozy, prana pratishta. I think I might have gotten that one mm-hmm. right. Or infusing of divine life into an idol. <laughs> was performed by a dozen priests recruiting, reciting mantras in tandem. It was attended by Democrats abroad, uh, India chairperson Carolyn Savage, who spent over an hour at the venue. Huh. Hmm, Democrats abroad. Yeah. Wow. Now, okay. You had comment? Yeah, I was just going to say, make sure I get this right. Obama actually carried this Hindu idol, small one, in his pocket. Well, yeah, no. That's what I read in other places. Yeah. He did. Well, actually, I think it's you got it right. He actually carried. They gave him a a, a 21 inch brass idol uh, that's been had this 11 day ceremony go over it. But he carries a smaller one of uh, Hanuman in his pocket. I've read it that it's like his good luck charm or wherever he goes, mm-hmm. uses or whatever. So they're they're praying these spirits into this idol he'll mm-hmm. have. Now this will be just on time for the convention, right? When he'll receive it. I don't know if yes, he'll bring it on yes. stage August or not. August twenty the fourth. 
August 24th is when he's going to have it. So they might deliver it on stage during the convention. Might actually set it up there. Yeah, they might, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't, I don't think that's too likely. Well, I tell you, I'm just relieved because you know he he is firm that he is not Islamic and he's very very clear. And I'm so relieved that he just worships a Hindu monkey god instead of Islam. Yes. Well, you know. Uh, man, you <laughs> should go on and on and on for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, didn't didn't he just get on uh, do an interview with Rick Warren recently? How come he... Rick Warren didn't ask you about that? Rick um, Warren has lots and lots and lots of money. I'm not trying to pick on a brother and lord there, but he's got lots of money, lots of staff people. They were doing homework on this. Mm-hmm. How come they're not asking him about this talking about religion? You know, that's a very good question. That would that falls under the question you asked Monday of me. Why mm-hmm. don't evangelicals talk about the fact that, oh, say the world elite get together and worship a big stone owl? Mm-hmm. You know. That might be important to voters. Well, when they're talking about family values on shows like that, how mm-hmm. come they don't ask why he left a wife who waited for him all those years while he was in prison, had a car accident, he finds her unattractive and leaves her for some beauty pageant winner with lots and lots of money to reinvigorate a career and leaves a, a wife who's waited for him behind. Yeah. That sure. doesn't seem like real family values. No, not to me so much either. Yeah. But yeah. evangelicals are picking him up. Oh, yeah. They're mm. going to get him in. Yeah, we're going to get him. Yeah. Yep. They're kind of guy. Huh. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope huh. you all notice that we have been equal opportunity there. We've, yeah. We've spoken about both candidates yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. Um, can I mention another one uh, since we had an Obama story uh, that goes on the other side of it? Tell it. There's another one you won't hear on the major news wires, but uh, this is very, very important. Um, earlier this month, Seymour Hersh. A Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist for the New Yorker magazine. No slouch. This was a guy who exposed the, the Malay Massacre, yes. which changed the whole crux of the war. And I've read this. This is several other things like this. This is un- now, unbelievable. Very, very well-respected yeah. uh, journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he revealed that Bush administration officials held a meeting recently in the vice president's office to discuss ways to provoke a war with Iran. Uh, in Hirsch's most recent article, he reports that this meeting occurred in the wake of the overblown incident in the Strait of Hormuz when a U.S. carrier almost shot at a few small Iranian speedboats. Uh, and we talked about that great in great depth in our earlier future quake. Mm-hmm. The meeting took place in the vice president's office. The subject was how to create a causus belli between Tehran and Washington, or an excuse to attack mm-hmm. During the journalism conference event, I asked her specifically about this meeting if he could elaborate on what occurred. Hurst explained that during the meeting in Cheney's office, an idea was considered to dress up Navy SEALs as Iranians, put them on fake Iranian speedboats, and shoot at them. This idea intended to provoke an Iran war was ultimately rejected. Oh, I feel so much better. Uh, here's, Here's a quote from Hurst. There was a dozen ideas proffered about how to trigger a war. The one that interested me the most was why don't we build, we in our shipyard, build four or five boats that look like Iranian PT boats, put Navy SEALs on them with lots of arms. The next time one of our boats goes in the Strait of Hormuz, start a shoot-up. Might cost some lives. And it was rejected because you can't have Americans killing Americans. That's the kind of, that's the level of stuff we're talking about, provocation. But that was rejected. So, so, uh, Mike, this is... This is, this show is getting so. Just to recap here, there was a plan to put Navy SEALs dressed as Iranians to provoke a war. Yes. 
Okay, I'm just after the, make sure that after I'm the other right. one didn't work with the voice saying we're coming to get you. And this is this isn't just some some uh, marginal one, journalist reporting. This is a uh, the guy who exposed the My Lai massacre. Yeah, yeah, ultimate credible source. Yeah. Now, Watergate is small potatoes compared to this. This would actually cause the, the death of millions of people. World War Three. Death of millions of Close, people. Yeah. Lots of our own people, even more Iranians. Who knows the collateral effect? And this is going on. Um, Hirsch argued that one of the things the Bush administration learned on the encounter in the Strait of Hormuz was that if you get the right incident, the American public will support it. This is the exact same thing they did in the Gulf of Tonkin. Which has come out just in the last year or so. That it was a completely fabricated incident. Ha- never happened. LBJ brought it mm-hmm. to get a declaration or to, to get... Uh, approval to not have to get a declaration of war and to go into Vietnam. We lost over 50,000 of our finest men in our country. Many others maimed physically or emotionally. I know I have, a, I have a close friend of mine who who still, 35 years later, whatever, he still deals with uh, PTSD on a daily basis. All for post-traumatic all, stress. Yeah, right. all for all for uh, one man's hubris. I, now I know why that like Alex Jones flips out, mm-hmm. you know, when I listen to him. How, how, how can, pe- people get involved. Why please. do people not care about this? I don't Again, know. I'm not trying to pick on on Republicans. It's not well. It's not Democrats a, do the same thing. It's not thing. red or blue. But no, it has nothing to. It has Americans and there's elite people, politics aside, who think we're total idiots. And can do whatever they want to do. Yeah. And we don't care. And you they know what? They're not caring. They're sort of right. <laughs> they're sort of right. But I care. Do you care? I care. Tom? I care. You people out there, get involved. Look at this stuff. Get serious about it. They're gonna send. They're gonna send sons and daughters, people you care about and love, over there to uh, start a war because that's what they feel like doing. The last one they referred to about the PT boat attacking before. Mm-hmm. That happened right before Republican debate. Mm-hmm. Every one of the debaters, except Ron Paul, said, let's go in and attack them right now. Let's yeah. go attack them right now, except Ron Paul said, you might want to double-check it. And then they later mentioned that it's some kind of heckler mm-hmm. on, on the band there in the Strait of Hormuz mm-hmm. that was heckling them. Yeah. Every one of them, including McCain, mm-hmm. including the minister, Huckabee, Mr. Minister Huckabee personally said, escorted, taking them to hell yeah, himself. That's a very uh, ministerial statement. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, McCain personally agreed uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this this is the kind of tactics Democratic presidents have done it, Republican presidents have done it. Uh, I say there's time for a change. Yep. That's that's what I say. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let me just see. Uh, it, he says here are some other comments that Hearst said. But the point is jejun, if you know what it means. Silly, maybe, but potentially very lethal. Because one of the things they learned in the incident was the American public, if you get the right incident, the American public will support bang, bang, kiss, kiss. You know we're into it. What happened in the Gulf was in the Straits in early January. The president was just about to go into the Middle East for a visit. And that was one reason they wanted to jet it up, get it going. So... uh uh, one of Dave, this is another uh, another related area. One of David Manning's famous memos describing a pre-war meeting between George Bush and Tony Blair. He says that Bush admitted that WMD was unlikely to be found in Iraq, and then mused on some possible options for justifying a war anyway. 
the, this is this is a quote in mm-hmm. the in the memo that Bush had to Tony Blair. The U.S. was thinking of flying U-2 reconnaissance aircraft with fighter cover over Iraq, painted in U.N. colors. The memo says, attributing the idea to Mr. Bush, if Saddam fired on them, he would be in breach. Man, it's all total lie. Yeah. I, man, uh, I just I want to pray. That's what I want to do. I'm going to pray here real quick. So you got I, got a minute, so yep. say a prayer. Father, uh, forgive us uh, for all this. Forgive me personally for all the stuff that I've supported in the past and didn't know what I was doing. Um, I made a mess of things, um, and I just wish that you would. Now that you've opened my eyes to a lot of these things, I wish that you would work a great work here in Nashville and anybody who hears our voice uh, in opening their eyes as to what's really going on here in the world. Uh, I fervently, desperately pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, you've got a decision to make in November. There are five national parties. Mm -hmm. There are not just two choices. No. Okay. I'm not telling you who to vote for. Um, but there are other choices, and you have a responsibility. If you don't accept that responsibility, then in my book, you're implicated mm-hmm. in these yeah, activities. Totally. That are At this point, I think it's difficult to say that uh, to be ignorant. And you Christians that are listening to me, you are the ones that will be judged most harshly. I'm not trying to say that you swallow everything we say on the show. Do your homework. Check it out. Yeah. Decide for yourself. Don't believe anything we say. But be like the Bereans you, and look. To the scriptures daily to find out if these things were true. Check it out for yourself, but you're responsible. Yeah, we're gonna have to go, but I want uh, I want our friend Merv to come on and tell you how you can let us know about what you think about the show. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got about ten seconds. All right. I have to go drink some cold water and sit by myself for a while. Okay. So it was ladies, fired up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, being patient with us. Be back next week. We have an incredible show. It's going to be on next week. I want you to catch it. Until then, seek the Lord. Uh, these are important days. Yes. Until next week, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Hasta luego. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Crowding out old realities There's revolution